everyone, and welcome to episode 687 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. Best opening you've ever done, but I'm doing great, Joe. That's right. It's like 10 minutes on the cutting room floor that no one will ever hear. Right. All that cutting room floor stuff. Oh, boy. That's the $100 Patreon level, right? There is... I almost cursed on here. A, a, a lot, a ton of stuff on the cutting room floor. <laughs> Just this week alone, we're all going to be incriminated, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I do apologize. We're a day late um, with this. You know, I had an emergency come up that we had to deal with. Uh, we didn't get home until almost like quarter to 12. Yep. Todd would have been up to do the show, but then I don't know what the hell, what the, hell the show would have been at that point, you know? Right, and I had a lot of people uh, reach out thinking because we mentioned the kerfuffle, the anniversary on After Dark, that we jinxed ourselves. And I'm like, ah, I'm fine. And Todd pitched to me before we started recording that he <laughs> wanted to do a fake heart attack angle on the show this week. <laughs> Who would ever do something like that? And then follow it up next week with just saying, no, no, he didn't have a heart attack. I just poisoned him. Okay. I believe some, that would happen. Some people will get that. Right. Not this guy. But. Nope, not you. Um, so the other thing is, you know, we mentioned on After Dark this week about the uh, Patreon show. And, you know, I was editing the Patreon show this past week. And I would listen to take out the, like, the the dead air and everything, right? <laughs> right. No, not. Again, we could fill the dead air with me doing that, but I'm not going to. And I'm listening, and I'm like, what is that noise in the background of the show this week? Is it my refrigerator? No. Were you cursing at it or something? No, my the, the Raiders were on a buy. So. Okay. So I hear this noise in the background. And you've probably heard it on the show before, too. Uh, the mouse that I have for my computer is kind of old. Oh, I thought you were going to say the one in your pocket. Because- no. Now, I don't know if you could hear this right now. I'm being quiet. Can you kind hear that? of a little bit, and that's not if, if it's that grinding sound. Yeah, that it gets loud sometimes. <laughs> that grinding sound was the mouse wheel on the mouse that I had before, mm-hmm. and this past week on the Patreon show was the loudest I'd ever noticed it. Mm-hmm. And the the problem was I'd gotten a new a new mouse a while ago, but the one that I got, the cord was too short to reach from where the tower is to the desk. Mm-hmm. So I had to switch it out, and that's where the the, the louder one came in, because the one that I had for my work computer had a longer cord. So this time I'm like, I need to get the one with the longest cord possible. No longer. No, that's too big. And I ended up getting the right one, and I'm, ple- I'm like, please let this thing be silent. Please, you know, whatever. I don't want an optical one. I don't want a USB one. I like it having a wire, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that grinding that has previously been on the shows for the past several months is no longer going to be here. Right. I- I'm going to miss it, Joe. Yeah. I'm going to miss it. <laughs> I'm just, I want Sarah McLaughlin's I Will Always Remember You playing as we just do sound bites of the grind. Mm-hmm. Boys, are you ready for the grind? I'm getting, like, really a bunch of obscure wrestling stuff in here at the beginning of the show. Uh, but enough about wrestling stuff. Let's get into comic book stuff, because that's what this show is. This is the comic book show. This is a show. We're doing it. It's a show. Um, with the writer's strike finally being over, uh, there's a ray of light 
That's actually darkness at the end of the tunnel. Huh? Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, as recent as this past weekend's previewing the past, um, a new imprint is launching. Mm-hmm. And speaking of imprints launching, uh, a new one is garnering some talents that were exclusive at other companies beforehand. And Todd, are you ready for the most obscure and random shared universe of all time? Yes, I am. All right. Uh, We also have conventions this weekend. Uh, We also have our friend Becky's walk down Lois Lane with another great installment there. We have what we read from this past week, which includes Batman Brave and the Bold number seven and Titans Beast World number one. Did we agree upon this? Um, you put it in the notes. I did not say no, so that's a legal binding contract. Okay. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, of course, uh, we also have discussion of the last two issues of Sandman Dream Hunters, and Todd and Joe have issues, and discussion and, uh, you know, maybe a heated debate in regards to the uh, latest Doctor Who's 60th anniversary special wild blue yonder who liked it more will be the argument um right todd loved it but joe loved it (laughs) right and i may do a quick uh review of got gojira minus one oh yes yes um that was gonna be on after dark but you know after dark is jammed up right it is a good one or will be a good one (laughs) yes anyway uh, so, important news. Uh, r- literally right after we recorded last week, they announced that uh, production on season two of Sandman has started back up with the writer's strike being over. Good. I hope they used all the notes from our uh, Todd and Joe issues. Yes. And again, it would have worked last week um, in conjunction with everything that we were doing, but Neil Gaiman put out a Statement, we never know where dreams will take us. 35 years ago today, which was a week ago today, uh, the first issue of Sandman was released and set so many people, real and imaginary, on paths improbable and journeys unlikely. This week, we officially restart production on the next set of stories for Sandman, for Netflix, bringing these stories to life in a way that would have seemed like an impossible dream 35 years ago or even five years ago. He ain't um, wrong. He ain't wrong. Um, you know, the, they they said some of the stuff, you know, that we're going to see in this is stuff like Destiny's Garden. They're going to take us to hell. We're going to go to ancient Greece, which is giving us an idea of some of the stuff that's going to be covered. Right. Um, just having reread all of Sandman this year. Um, I'm excited for this. Man, I I was I loved the first season, and you know I just I feel like we're gonna get two to three like trades a season um, with the one shots in there and everything like that. So I you know three four seasons at most, and then who knows we get you know you have specials and overture, but uh, yeah I've there's there's almost nothing I haven't liked about the Sandman you know Netflix show. So give me more. The only thing I'm worried about is we won't get to the end. That's the only thing that scares me. You don't think we will? No, not, I'm sorry, that we, that it could have, like Netflix could go, you know what, the money, the, what we're putting out, we're not getting the eyes. You just never know, like with the empty suits, you know? They could just go, nah, you don't get a season three. 
Season I could see, depending on season two, you know, financial critical success, uh, Netflix subscriptions, etc. Didn't we talk a little while back when there was discussion of Netflix adding a tier where there's ads and shows? Right. Yeah. Where specifically they were requ- like the advertisers are like, we want our ads in that show, the Sandman mm-hmm. show. So as long as they stay on that train, I could certainly see Netflix sticking with them. But if they still do stick on that train, and for some reason Netflix decides we don't want any part of this, I'm sure someone else will pick it up. You never know, though, you know? Yeah. I, I, I We like to be positive on here, but there have been a lot of shows that have died early deaths that were really good. So. Mm-hmm. But... So, speaking of Vertigo, speaking of Sandman, Sandman is what launched Vertigo. We were actually just talking about this for previewing the past this past week. We're all of these, and we were postulating with all these different companies, these indie companies in 1993 and in 1994, that were announcing all these imprints within their company. Was this them trying to get more shelf space, which was starting to become premium with as many publishers as there were? Was this these publishers attempting to ape the success of Vertigo? Or was it a little bit of both? Right. Well, uh, this week we had the announcement with Oni Press and Elijah Wood's Spectre Vision, a new imprint called High Strangeness, which is set to launch in 2025. Hmm. Elijah Frodo Elijah Wood, right? Yes. Frodo oh, Elijah Wood, yes. Okay. And the, the the goal of this is to explore paranormal phenomenon in comics. There's a teaser image uh, that's going to announce the imprint, you know, a bunch of statements. Everyone's excited. Uh, we're going to roll this out at 2025's L.A. Comic-Con, which L.A. Comic-Con was just this past weekend. So it's just funny that this is a story that came out the same week that we're talking about. Um. Are these people that might be aware that Vertigo's coming back and trying to, like, get well, into the marketplace that's going to pop back up when the Vertigo anniversary hits? Well, there's no definitive on that, but I see it coming back. And I actually want to go back and peruse the episodes where we talked about Vertigo going away. Yep. Um, that we, ha- we had a prediction of when it might be back. Um, I don't know. I think this is just people who grew up on Vertigo. Yeah. So love that pedigree name. So they're like, oh, we're going to, if DC ain't going to use the clout that Vertigo has, let's, let's us use it. So um, like, you know, just older people have a fan, you know, have a, a nostalgia for it. That's all I can really think is it's not mainstream superhero things, but let's hitch our wagon to the Vertigo name. Yeah, uh, it's it's not we can't say we're Vertigo, but there is a nostalgia for Vertigo. Mm-hmm. If we delay it enough, we could be right alongside Vertigo with people mm-hmm. coming back to the marketplace for those types of comics. And if the Vertigo launch doesn't happen, then we're kind of already in that marketplace space. Um, but I'll be cynical on this one, Todd, and say this is a Hollywood type person with. And again, Oni Press, top 10 company? Probably, yes. Okay. Um, They're definitely above Valiant at this point. As we record, um, this doesn't happen. This is an announcement. 
LA Comic Con 2025 comes and goes, and we never hear of this again. Hmm. I'll take that bet. Okay. I think it is going to happen. You think so? I think. I, I I think Elijah Wood needs a tax shelter, so it'll happen. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's see who's right a year, uh, two years from now, right? That's right. A year and a half we, from we, now. We figured out that we're going to be here for a few for a while, so at least three. Yes. Mm-hmm. So speaking of pie in the sky uh, imprints within a company, we have an actual imprint in a company that was actually rolled out at New York Comic Con this past past year. And already has books solicited to be coming out starting in March and April. And that would be Jeff John's Ghost Machine imprint at Image. And they announced some big talents and big creative teams that were going to be involved in this. But specifically this week, um, Peter Snedgeberg, who, you know, you would know he did a lot of Starman stuff. He did some JSA stuff. He's somebody who's worked with Jeff John's in the past. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he was working regularly anywhere, but I know Ivan Hayes, who is somebody who was working regularly, is actually currently working on one of the books that we're going to be talking about a little bit later on here today. Um, He has said that that is going to be the last thing that he does with DC, uh, giving up his DC exclusive contract that he's had probably for the last 12 years. Probably. I wouldn't know for sure, but yeah. Yeah, uh, to go and work with Jeff Johns at Ghost Machine. Which, good for him. I was kind of shocked, but, uh, you know, I will admit they'll get nine to ten issues a year out of Ivan, Mm -hmm. and they'll all look amazing. Yep. So that is a good get for uh, Jeff Johns' company. Right, and they have... Three titles already announced um, with the company. They have, you know, in addition to who we just mentioned here, previous announcements, whether they're exclusives or not, people like Brian Hitch, Jason Fabok, Pete Tomasi, who's actually working on the book with Snageberg, uh, Francis Manipool, Gary Frank, and, uh, of course, Jeff Johns himself. But, you know, so I say, you know, you're talking about nine books a year. I'm sure because it's that image and because of Jeff Johns's name, these books can just sort of kind of come out whenever they come out. Right. I don't see them. I, I definitely see these books kind of getting solicited in the way that, um, you know, Jeff Johns other book Geiger. Um, I'm trying to think what was the um, other Scott Snyder book that had like the weird schedule at Is image. Oh, Noctera. Noctera where these books are going to come out four to five to six issues at a time. And then there's going to be a three to four month break. Then you're going to get four to five to six issues, a three to four to five month break. Mm -hmm. These are not going to be definitive ongoing series where there's new product on the shelf every month. But that's just my speculation of the way that some of these bigger name creators that had been at Marvel and DC have come to an independent publisher, specifically Image, and the way that their output gets put out, if you will. Right. Yeah, I just meant like he doesn't have to do the same book, but like he could do one shots, whatever. But I'm just saying like when he was at DC, he was capable of doing like as beautiful as his stuff was and detailed nine books a year. If you needed him for that, he's available. But I'm with you. They'll probably put out. 
a couple of minis uh, a year and, and he'll have that break in between. But uh, it's all good. I, you know, we'll see what Jeff Johnson's company can do. If he could get that market share, if you will. Yep. Um, and these are books that I'm going to check out anyway, just on Jeff John's pedigree. You know, obviously mm-hmm. we've been fans of his for a very long time. Um, maybe things have been cold the last couple of years because maybe he's been focused more on the production TV side of things, as opposed to the comic book side of things, arguably where he might be a little bit more stronger and these being characters and properties and so forth that he's going to have complete control over. Uh, one of the books is going to continue spinning out of the existing Geiger junkyard Joe universe. So that's like a gimme. Mm-hmm. But just based on name value alone, like these are books that are going to get at least a first issue look out of me. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Uh, so last but not least, when we're talking about um, shared universes and imprints and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yet another with Oni Press. And again, Oni making some big moves. Definitely top 10 company. <laughs> They they are currently in bed with the Nacelle uh, group. The Nacelle group, <laughs> the Nacelle company, is doing a Nacelle-verse of a bunch of different properties that they have. And this is comics and cartoons and toys dating all the way back to the 60s. Right. Things like RoboForce and Sectars and biker mice from mars and the one that stuck out for me todd right the great garlu i don't know i biker mike mice from mars were the ones that stuck out for me but well sectors i know biker mice from mars i know robo force i know the great garlu is a toy from the 50s or the, I was it's either late fifties, early sixties. I thought it was the Great Gazoo for a second. Now that's what I thought as well. I'm like, how did they get the Great Gazoo away from the Flintstones Hanna Barbera Empire? But no, it's the Great Garlu, which was like this weird giant like green monster in a loincloth. Not ringing a bell. No, and that's so it's the it's one of those things when we're done here, I want you to go and Google great garlu and you're gonna be like okay i've seen that thing before if you saw the teaser image that came out it's the big giant green head that's in the middle of it okay but this is a way to test out some ip to see which stuff has more legs than others um the rocks production company is involved with making some of these things into other than comic books it was already announced earlier this year that whatever Double R Ryan Reynolds production company is, mm-hmm. that he's already doing a new Biker Mice from Mars cartoon. <laughs> so again, listen, you've got you've got Oni Press, you got The Rock, you got Ryan Reynolds, you got the Great Garlu. What could go wrong, right? Nothing at all. By the way, I just looked up Great Garlu. Nothing. I, nothing? I have nothing. Don't remember it at all. All right. So listen, if any of the, if you're a big sectars guy or gal, get ready because 2024 is going to be your year. That's right. Uh, the only sectar I know is 2814. That was the Green Lantern sectar. No, it's a different sectar. Mm-hmm. But I get you. 
Uh, so yeah, like I said, you know, a lot of people looking toward 2024 and 2025 with the, uh, world of comics here, but I'm looking to this weekend, Todd, cause there's a convention this weekend and I know they've taken the word comic out of it, but steel city con is this weekend in the greater Pittsburgh area. They don't have any comic people there, but they do have comic adjacent people there. You know, mm-hmm. David Arquette is going to be there. You know, David Arquette. Uh, owns the likeness rights um, and the market, like the in, in perpetuity, uh, to Bozo the Clown. Does he really? Yes, he does. Um, he was he's and again, David Arquette, weird guy. Um, he's a big clown guy. And, se- and several years ago, he bought the rights to Bozo the Clown, and then just did nothing with them. He just owns them. That's like, his Dick Tracy now. I- it's gonna say it's like Warren Beatty and Dick Tracy. If we could get Warren Beatty and David Arquette in the same room together, mm-hmm. we could get our Bozo the Clown Dick Tracy crossover that we've been all pining for. That's right. We could get a clown character and Bozo in the same movie. <laughs> oh my goodness! I will say this: David Arquette, great in that uh, wrestling documentary. Oh yes, the the documentary shot in real time, ready to rumble. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, Famke Jansen's gonna be there. Oh, uh, Storm and Zenyatta top. Not Storm. Yes. Uh, uh, Jean Grey. Jean Grey. Jean Grey. And uh, who you postulated on one of the Patreon shows would have been, uh, would have made the barbed wire movie better if she was the lead as opposed to Pamela Anderson. Acting wise, definitely. Right. I don't know if she could have recreated the first couple minutes of the movie. I don't know if she could have filled in everywhere for Pamela. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, Alex Winter is going to be there. One half of Bill and Ted. That's right. I would say, listen, I've come around on Keanu, but Alex Winter is still my favorite. You know, he's a very interesting documentarian, very absurdist comic mind he's a very interesting guy uh pam greer is going to be there the lovely pam greer right and uh the equally lovely i guess uh alec baldwin is going to be there the shadow uh i was gonna say jack donaghy but okay we all know him from where we know him from shadow i'm just saying that's (laughs) the only thing i've ever heard about alec baldwin was the shadow that's it that's the only And then he's just retired quietly and hasn't yes. done anything. Put, put down <laughs> his guns and he's retired, Joe. Okay. Uh, so we have the link to that convention, of course, in the show notes, along with information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows go live, obviously you could find them at their own individual podcatchers, websites, RSS feeds, whatever. But you want everything in one stop shop, soon to be named network.com. That's where you can find everything. You can also find links to some of our friends and the stuff that they're up to in and around the internet. You can go check out Mike Sterling's Progressive Raw uh, Progressive Ruin blog, who just celebrated its 20th anniversary this week. Wow. wow. Yeah. Imagine doing something online for 20 years. Give me a few more years and I'll tell you what it's like. All right. Uh, our good friend Kevin's website over at uh, hellionsteam.com. Uh, Rick Williams, the chop shop at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. 
uh, all those like funky, they look like muscle uh, figures. He's got a bunch of stuff like that made of resin. He's got glow in the dark ones. He's got pins. He's got stickers. He's got all sorts of cool stuff over at his site. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter is still available a la carte over at his Indiegogo page. Chris runs self-published battle monsters uh, is over at his website, fortress of comic news.com. Um, now, I'm going to plug our good friend Dave of the band Cave People's website, cavedomaincomics.com. Right. But I know Mending is sold out first mm-hmm. printing. He's, that's what I heard, too. And I think last I checked, there was only two copies of Keeper left. No, those are Keepers right there. Then. Right. Uh, those are Keepers. Um, I don't know if he did a smaller print run of the on, on Mending or... Um, it just sold out that much better, but it doesn't matter because you can still go there and pick up either one of those digitally, right. uh, as well. Go support Davey and his comic ventures. And if you do not have a comic book shop in your area, or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our shop be your shop comics on the green. Um, Facebook pages linked up here. Dave and the crew is going to let you know uh, whenever the books come in. Of course, books come in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays now just because of, uh, you know, that's the stupid world that we live in when it comes to comments. <laughs> right. Um, sign up for the mail order subscription service. Get stuff mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly. Or just go over to the site and we joke about it and say, oh, go check out the latest uh, collection of mint key Silver Age issues that Dave picked up this week. Right. But wouldn't you know, this week, <laughs> Dave picked up a small collection of key Amazing Spider-Man issues, ranging from the first Green Goblin to the first Hobgoblin to the first Carnage and all points in between. Yeah, but that Hobgoblin doesn't have the tattoo. Oh, what kind doesn't? of collection is that? The first Green Goblin. If you don't no. have a tattoo in one of your comics, Joe, it's practically no, that's a pretty that, that's a solid run, though. <laughs> Again, we joke about it, but the it's a joke because it's true. Right. And the thing is, I think this is the second like collection of of a bunch of amazing Spider-Man comics he's got in the past month and a half. Uh-huh. There was one earlier, I believe. So, I don't know. Kids like the Spider-Man almost yeah. as much as the Batman, Joe. Almost as much as the Batman. And as I was mentioning, whether you're ordering uh, subscription stuff or you're just going through the eBay store, which is linked up there as well, uh, there's a good chance that you'll get a sketch on the package that gets sent to you from our good friend Becky. And we're going to turn things over to her because it's time for my walk down Lois Lane. Welcome back to my walk down Lois Lane. This week I want to cover issue number 38 from 1963. And the reason I want to talk about it is because of the letters column at the end of the issue and what DC tried to do after this issue came out. So let's dive in. It starts with Superman being summoned to the Daily Planet because they have more Valentine's letters for him than Santa sees at the North Pole every year. And as he's reading them at a superhero-like speed, he realizes that one of the Valentine's cards has been written to him in red kryptonite ink. He throws the letter and tells everybody he's got to go, and he flies out the window. As he's flying around Metropolis, he thinks, okay, good, maybe there was just a little bit of, of red kryptonite and I'm actually okay when he sees two bank robbers. As he flies down to confront the bank robbers, one of them throws a grenade and hits Superman in the face, knocking him out of the sky and knocking him unconscious. The two bank robbers make a break for it. 
Superman wakes up and he's in the hospital. He's trying to tell them that he's Superman, but they told him he probably has a concussion because he has multiple broken bones and they're currently giving him a blood transfusion. They couldn't possibly do that if he was Superman. As he's sitting in the hospital, he's visited by Perry, Jimmy, and Lois and Lana. They all come to give him well wishes and quiz to see whether or not he's really Superman because his face is all bandaged. Superman decides that this is a fantastic opportunity to see if Lois or Lana would still want to be with him if he wasn't Superman anymore. So instead of telling everybody that he'll be fine in 48 hours, because that's about as long as Red Kryptonite affects his body, he decides he's going to play along and see which one loves him the most. So each girl is giving him kisses on the cheek, bringing him presents, and telling him that they would love him even if he was a regular man, because he's still superior to any other men they know. And he's telling them, oh, woe is me, I will never have my powers again. Perry comes in with an audio recorder and tells him that he would like to get a memoir of Superman, you know, just in case Superman croaks and dies from all of his injuries. Superman begins to recount lives of saving Lana, saving Lois, saving Jimmy, saving the universe, as the girls cry that he will never be a fantastic Superman ever again. The girls decide to show up late one night wearing matching trench coats and matching scarves, and Superman leaves on the audio recorder. Not knowing it was muffled, the girls started talking back and forth, deciding which one would stay with Superman and which one was going to leave. You can't see their faces, and you can't see their hair. That's very important in this issue. Superman tries to play back the audio recorder, but it's all its all a mess, and he can't make out who said that they would stay and who said that they would leave. Suddenly, Superman flashes back, and he's flying in the sky carrying the two bank robbers. He's realized that the red kryptonite just gave him a hallucination, and he's really fine all along. But once he drops them off, and he sees Lois, she asks him why he's looking at her so strangely, and now he contemplates which one actually would stay with him and which one wouldn't. So... After this issue came out, DC really, really pushed for you to write in and say which one do you think would stay with Superman, and the letters column that ran for the next two issues after this one were really, really interesting, because you had the nice fans that would write in and say, I think Lois would stay, or I think Lana would stay, and then you had some very, very angry men boys, I guess, writing in and just absolutely tearing Lois or Lana apart. One guy wrote an entire list of every single person Lois has dated besides Superman and implied that she would drop him in a heartbeat. Somebody else wrote in and said that Superman is just a toy to Lois Lane and the second that he doesn't have his superpowers anymore, she's just going to throw him away. Now, the difference between the letters columns at DC for Lois Lane and all of the other girl comics that ran at the time, like Millie the Model or My Love or Young Romance, is that the advertising and the letters column were primarily girls. You would find an occasional letter from a boy, but the letters columns were strictly girls. Lois Lane has an equal number of boys and girls that wrote in, and because of that, DC ran the typical boy advertising. So you guys would have the super cool sea monkeys, x-ray specs, army men, while us girls would have grow your nails, wear some wigs, and there is an ad that literally just says, don't be fat. And there's one that's my personal favorite, which is where you can send away for a discreet catalog to buy school uniforms for your husky daughter who wouldn't fit in the ones at the department store. 
So I personally believe that Lois would stay with Superman. I do. I have read multiples of these. I have seen her take poison. I have seen her take bullets. I have seen her blow up a mountain on herself, go crazy, and frame Lana Lang for murder. And I think that she would stay over Lana. Plus, multiple times in these comics, Superman says that his one and only true love is Lois Lane, and the editors will write that multiple times in different letters pages to the fans. Now, if you're asking yourself, okay, so who is it? Is it Lana or is it Lois? When was this answered and how can I read it? You can't. You can't. After two issues, DC stopped trying to push this agenda rivalry in the letters column and then just completely ignored the fact that this was never a storyline after they promised that they were going to resolve it and they were going to tell you who was who. Lois Lane ran for another 99 issues after this one, and I have never found it. It doesn't exist. So we'll never know. Tune in next week for more nonsense from Lois Lane. Thank you very much, Becky. With that information... Now, so she mentions that story, that Lois Lane-Lana Lang story, right? Right. I'm shocked that there's not more discussion online about that, or if there is discussion, or was discussion, that it wasn't more prevalent, that we just set up this story... And then just completely dropped the resolution to it. Well, thankfully, it's the first and last time that DC would ever do something <laughs> like that. But yeah, that's just crazy to like set up a whole thing in the letters page and then just let it like, you know, just die a death. And then what? like she said, like it was like 90 some more issues, like never brought up again. Right. That's it's not crazy. like the, it's it's not like, it's it's like oh, well. We're, 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 we we got canceled so we could never finish the story. No, they continued publishing the book for another eight years, nine years. Yep, depending on whether it was monthly or bi-monthly. But uh, yeah, I mean, even when Ghost Rider in the 90s didn't have that final issue, recently they put it out, remember? Yes. So it's like, you know, we could finally, we should petition DC to answer that question finally. And if we could bring back some of those ads, that would be great, Joe. <laughs> I'm I'm glad she read those ads and we didn't have to. Oh, no. But I do think that should be our motto on the show for us anyway. Don't be fat, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely thank you again for Becky for imparting. I would say she's uh, unofficially the world's foremost Lois Lane comic expert? Um, yeah, my uh, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, definitely that era. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if she's, she's catching all the latest Lois Lane comics, but, uh, <laughs> and I will give her credit too for, uh, loving those really well-written romance comics from the fifties and sixties. Yeah. And I'm sure, and that's the thing, you know, the, the lowest, the, my walk down Lois Lane segment, you know, I, I have a feeling Becky might get to some of those, um, off the wall, off the beaten path romance comics as well. Cause they're just as crazy as the Lois Lane things, but I have Becky's social media linked up in the show notes as well. So definitely give her a follow, let her know that you've been enjoying her part of the show here every week. Right. We just let her do what she wants. When you have talent like that, you can't contain it, Joe. Right. You don't give them any direction. You just say nope. action. Yep. Just put them in front of the mic and let and, and just pull the string. <laughs>
pull the strings. <laughs> pull the strings. All right, let's get to what we read from this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? I'll start with the book we were uh, that we were both looking forward to most, which was Batman: The Brave and the Bold, number seven, an anthology. Um, we were mostly looking forward to it for the new Kyle Stark story uh, uh, with art by Fernando Passerin. Um, it's a wild dog story. There are other stories in that I'll touch on briefly, but the wild dog story is what we're looking forward to. Um, wild dog, you know, the the hero of the, the quad cities, you know, is wandering around on foot as he's a man of the street kind of a deal. And he's talking to a street vendor there. And the street vendor is asking him questions about his glorious Jersey that he's wearing and, you know, stuff that could happen with that. And uh, he's talking about, he hears rumors that the new uh, group of villains is coming to town. He's ready for them. And of course they show up right on cue as any good story would have it. Um, and he goes after them. I like that they have their super suits with, I'm going to call um, high tech hair dryers connected to them. Cause that's exactly <laughs> what they look like. Um, but there's some great back and forth between wild dog and them and wild dogs, like, you know, getting the upper hand, even though he doesn't have, you know, like superpowers, he's got some gadgets, um, but as that goes on, we end up, uh, he gets maybe, uh, into some copyright infringement, trademark <laughs> infringement, which is a great bit. Um, and then we kind of get, uh, the, the, the villain who we don't know who it is yet, but he ends up talking to his minions and he's a benevolent, you know, uh, villain until, you know, he's not, um, but he's at least, uh, very fair with his, uh, with his punishments. Um, and we hope to see, uh, what happens with him because wild dogs hot on the case with a slightly different costume supposes, I would guess just so we can get another action figure out of this show, <laughs> but, uh, all around a fun story. It's kind of, you know, and I don't want to say this in a bad way. It's like peacemaker light. Because that's what is Kyle Stark's vein, if you will. But it's not. It's because it's a completely different character. Uh, but I had fun with it. And I do like the reasoning Wild Dog wants to fight the Penguin. And I kind of agree with it. Uh, <laughs> but all around, and it looks beautiful. Fernando is an artist going back that, I, that I, I've known for a while. And I've loved everything he does. And this Wild Dog stuff looks absolutely amazing even though wild dog's the second best hockey mask wearing uh character after casey jones so uh, it's a fun book mm -hmm. i could just say that uh it definitely you know i know that you said it's peacemaker light and i think that's doing both books a disservice i would say right um whereas they are two very different characters their motivations are a little bit different um you know peacemaker was a black label book so kyle was able to get away with a lot more both verbally and visually in a book like that where wild dog is still very much entrenched in the regular dc universe pg uh, yeah 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 and there was humor in this but it wasn't so like over the top like the Peacemaker comic that just recently came out, Tries Hard, or the TV show that was on HBO Max. This is a much more subtle, almost dry comedy. And a lot of the comedy, I think, comes from the look of the character and the mm -hmm. reputation that this character has. And of course, part of the comedy in that, as, as Todd mentioned, was that he has to have a costume change, a uniform change due to a cease and desist. Um, and I like that that's going to be a running gag throughout the, the, you know, this strip, this story, this, you know, part of the Brave and the Bold book. 
And I'll say this. If there were clues there to let us know who the villain is, I don't know who the villain is. Uh, I know who the villain is. Or I have a swing at who the villain is. Okay. I don't even want to take a swing because there's not an... uh, In my opinion, there was not enough information given for you to make as educated a guess as I should be making. I'm going by the silhouette and the gloves. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to mail it to you in an envelope, sealed, and you can keep it on your front porch? Yes. Okay. Um, and the other thing I I love about Wild Dog, he is his origin is if the Punisher played football. That's all. Yeah. Um, I did not read the first story in this because it was part two of a story that I did not read part one of. Is the same here, but I did read the other two stories. Yeah. Um, uh, I liked the Aquaman thing with the Dominators. That was like right. very, yeah, very much a punch. Uh, for like some late eighties, early nineties DC comics, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I like the wager one with the demon and Batman. The, I, yeah. I did think the ending was a bit out of Batman's like acting out of character. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's like okay, there's this person who you know this lady made a deal with with the with the demon Etrigan because this this thug killed his, his, her dot his her kid, and it's like okay they end up meeting up and Batman's like all right you're gonna you know drag him to hell and you know like like kill him how about if we make a bet whoever gets to him first gets him and it's you know you don't see a lot of Etrigan but it's Batman's detective work versus Etrigan's like you know, just power and magic. And I'm like, okay, this is an interesting premise, something I never would have thought of reading. Um, and I like, like I said, I like the ending. I think it's a bit out of Batman's character, but it was a fun story. And I'm a sucker for anthology stuff. So uh, yeah, it was a good issue. And I, I like the Aquaman story too. Yep. Um, I, I'll be kicking myself though. If the uh, wild dog thing gets collected in its own separate thing, I don't know how brave and the bold is currently being collected. Um, obviously since it's anthologies and the main one maybe doesn't line, like, cause there's, you know, a, a one shot and then there's two new stories that start and right. another story that's already in the middle of something. So I have no idea how this is all going to get collected. Right. Pro- probably collected as a brave and the bold trade, I would guess. And they would put the, they would put them all like DC is terrible at that. They'll put issue one and two. So like you have this, you have to like flip to get to each story as you're reading them. I can uh-huh. see it that way, but uh, hopefully not. I'd like to see it. Just give Kyle his own book, you know, yes. uh, trade it or reprint it as a, how many ever pages it is. One shot, a 48 per, uh, page prestige one shot. Absolutely. Yep. And I would buy it again. Just, I, I'm, I'm looking at you, DC. <laughs> I would buy it again too. And I would tell everyone on the show to buy it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other book that we both read from this past week was Titans beast world. Number one, uh, written by Tom Taylor with art by the aforementioned Ivan Hayes. Uh, this is the big, I guess, end of the year, beginning of the year crossover since the Justice League technically are not around. The Titans are technically the Justice League. They get the big crossover here. Right. Um, now under normal circumstances, this wouldn't be that big of a deal to me because I typically don't read DC company wide crossovers and haven't for quite some time. I've been burned far too many times, but Mm -hmm. just coming off night terrors. 
which we lamented last week kind of killed the momentum of a lot of the new Dawn of DC books. Right. This being one of them, Titans being one of them, and now Titans is at the centerpiece of another line-wide company-spanning crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be picking this up if I already wasn't getting the Titans book, which I'm already getting the Titans book, and it's crossing over into Nightwing, and I already get Nightwing. Now, granted, there's a lot of one-shots and miniseries and stuff that comes out of this, but I look at the creative teams, and I'm like... That's not the main creative team. I think I'm okay, right? Right. Um, but where we've been, I think we talked about the first issue of Titans when it started up. And where we've kind of come to here is a lot of the old Titans tropes are in here. But it's essentially them taking on a Justice League villain. And again, I don't think there's a spoiler because it's one of the many covers. Even if you get the main cover, it's kind of teased. But it's Starro stuff. Mm-hmm. which I don't think the Titans have ever dealt with or been equipped with. And it's putting Beast Boy as the f- central focus character on this. It's called Beast World. Um, we're not going to get how we get there, but we get so many cool, interesting ideas out of this book. Right? And I think Beast Boy is a character uh, who has so much potential and I've kind of fallen into that where Teen Titans go. I would not say ruined Beast Boy or ruined the Titans for me, but I, I definitely have those iterations of them in the cartoon for babies version of it's always sunny of Philadelphia cur- versions of those characters, right? You're saying that like that version is your definitive Titans. No, no. Okay. just. But I think that version of the Titans is a lot of people's version of the Titans. Okay. And if they were to pick this book up, you're like, well, how come they're not like eating food all the time and saying booyah and breaking the fourth wall and being jerks to each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think because of that, Beast Boy, a lot of people look past his potential. And this is a story arc, and this has been a run by Tom Taylor that definitely is showing you what Beast Boy's potential can be. Um, as like, and I, I and again, an A plus character as a Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. I would definitely say an A minus character. You know, he's got the unique look. He's got the cool power set. He's got the mainstream visibility. You know, for better or for worse, for the Teen Titans Go cartoon. And I definitely feel as though this whole thing is built to build Beast Boy and to, and again, not to say a lesser extent, because like all the different Titans get their really good moments, but like Raven and Beast Boy get like really good moments in this, you know, Uh, Raven gets the moment where she gets to like talk, like talk down to Batman to his face, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Beast Boy's the one it's like well Starro while uh, you know an alien conqueror from another world he's essentially just a beast an animal and the way that Beast Boy kind of does things and changes things is very you know some outside the box thinking for the character itself but definitely fits in with it who the character is and what the character can do Um, and again I'm gushing over this but I really liked this a lot good Good. Um, you want to know my big major nitpick with this uh, this first issue? Todd, I will not sit here and have somebody nitpicking a good comic book or a good comic book property. <sighs> I, again, um, I'll, I'll allow it this one time on the show to let someone do it. Right. It should be called Titans Changeling World. Okay. Other than that, I'm good with it. 
Um, I stand by, I, I, you know, my, you know, era is the George Perez Wolfman teen Titan. So he's, he'll always be changeling to me. So this beast boy nonsense, you know, is not for me, but right. otherwise I'm with you on everything. Like, you know, uh, Garth having, you know, this immense power, being able to do what he does and they establish it in earlier issues of Titans. Like when he becomes a swarm of bees, he's like, I could be, you know, pun intended, you know, all the bees. And then like, if something happens to one of the bees, I kind of lose part of myself and everything. So it's an interesting to give, to give somebody who had the ability to turn into a tiger, like a higher power setting. Um, it, it, it's interesting. The only thing, uh, I want to see how it plays out because Tom Taylor's a, a writer I trust. Um, it's just anything that I read is all right. All the, People are turning into animals. And what animal is each superhero? Like, it could be really cliche in the wrong writer's hands. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that's, uh, but that's not talking about this book. Otherwise, I'm with you on everything with this. I'm just worried about the other books that I read. Yeah, and that's the thing. I I, I read Titans. I read Nightwing. And I'm reading this. And they're all written by Tom Taylor. I'm not too concerned about what the other writers that are doing stuff in this little crossover are doing because I'm not reading them. So they don't have, they don't exist, which is a very narrow cast thing, a very narrow cast mindset to have, but it's really the only way that I can enjoy a crossover like this, that I'm not getting everything. Like there's a Spider-Man one that just started. We, we talked about it last week and it's the gang wars thing and it's all this stuff and they're bringing all the street level characters in and they're all getting their one shots and they're all getting their tie-ins and they're all getting their crossovers that's great if it's not written by zeb wells who's doing the main book i ain't getting it yeah i'm the same way with you on this one i'm getting all the titans nightwing uh the the titans changeling world and then on all the ones that like they have the cities i'll get the central city one because that's flash you know like but once again will i read it possibly if not it'll just go in the box so and and, you know kudos to dc not only having like the checklist in the book which they typically do but they have the checklist on their website as well right always known for their great websites yeah um you know so to, to to see them do something as simple as take the last page of the comic book that they publish and just put it as a pdf or a JPEG or whatever on their own website for us to be like, wow, I can't believe uh, they did that. You might think it's like, are we giving them like uh, like a, a big pat on the back for the minimal amount of effort? Have you seen the DC website? <laughs> I have. All right. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to see where this goes. And like, obviously, and then, you know, we were talking about like, you know, Beast Boy changing Garth. You know, it's it's kind of leveling him up, but it's also continuing the DC agenda for 23 into 24, which is making Amanda Waller the big baddie of the DC universe. Right. You know, and that's like the underpinnings of so many of the different stories that are going on uh, in the DC comics coming out of Dawn of DC. So to see that and, and there's actually even ties uh, to Night Terrors in this. Right. Right. Yep. So a, a little connective tissue is what it takes to one, make these things seem important and two, to make the person who read night terrors and see a character pop up and say, I wonder where that character is. And you don't see him again until the next crossover. That's how you get people in on the crossover on the business side of things. And as long as you've got a plan for that character, that he's going to be a through line 
whether it be the main through line or a B through line through your big company-wide crossovers, that's how you get people involved in reading these things. Like, you know, Todd and myself, who've avoided DC crossovers for the better part of the last, like, seven or eight years. Yeah. And now we're reading two in a row. I'd have to go back and look and see which ones I hit. You know what I mean? Uh, I might have tried some of them. I think... Was bright? Does Brightest Day count as a company-wide crossover? Yes. What would have been after Brightest Day? Uh, Off I, the top of your head, if you don't know. Then it's I'm not gonna, good. Yeah, right. So once of all, one, if you don't know, it's not good. And two, whatever that second one was after, because I, I was in on Sinestro Core War, of course. I was in on Blackest Night. I was in on Brightest Day. And then whatever the next one was, I'm like, oh, okay, it's just continuing diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. It's like let's make Sinestro Core War, let's Sinestro Core War bigger. Now let's continue off this, and you know, I don't think I've bought a book with the word crisis in it in however many years. I bought some of the crossovers. Uh, uh, well, here's the last couple. Like we definitely didn't do Lazarus Planet, right? Flashpoint Beyond was was kind of tight. Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths. Nope. Oh my God. There's a there's some here. <laughs> Future State was like. Nope. Remember, they kind of did. Uh, oh, there was. Was that the one where they did like the little two issue miniseries for a bunch of yes, stuff? Yes. Yes. So that was one that I didn't get involved in the main book, but that was the one where it was like, oh, Gail Simone's writing this. I'll get that. Or like so and so's writing this. I'll get that. And. uh for the most part, they weren't good. All the Dark Knight or the Dark uh, Death Metal stuff from Snyder was a giant, like, they had the crossovers. I may have gotten the first issue of that. Okay. I, I didn't get some of those. But Metal and Dark Metal were all over the, the planet. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, the way they kind of, and I'm using Wikipedia, the most trusted for, source for DC crossovers, they don't have a lot of... Uh, they don't have a, the, the way they tack them together is in these weird like categories. So you have to like roll through them. But uh, yeah, I haven't really done a lot uh, of these. So I'm going to say, yeah, uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm not worried. All right. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is, you get your books before Warren, before Arm, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, I'm currently in the lead over Todd with one correct guess. Yes. And I'm looking at Todd's slender read of a list this week. And I'm going to guess the book that Todd is most looking forward to coming out this week is Batman Santa Claus Silent Night number one. It is Batman Santa Claus Silent Night number one, even though I didn't get the rub and smell edition because it was like two or three dollars more. Mm. Um, but you are correct. And I'm guessing the issue, the book you're looking forward to the most is Thunderbolts number one. Yes. I know um, it's like a layup with you and Thunderbolts usually. If it's Saga and Thunderbolts, not so much, but yeah, yeah, like that's you know Saga's typically going to win out unless it's a number one. But I'm a sucker for Thunderbolts. 
outside of the time that they did the Fight Club gimmick miniseries. Um, I didn't get that. Uh, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, who are currently doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Um, I didn't love their Guardians of the Galaxy. I know you did or do or dud. I did, then kind of, then didn't. So I'm out. And this is, you know, very much tying into the cinematic universe stuff that was set up for the Thunderbolts, right? Right. So we'll see how that plays out. But it's a Thunderbolts number one. I got to get it. Thunderbolts is is your Suicide Squad for me. There you go. Suicide Squad done right. Oh, shut <laughs> I up. Would, I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Right. <laughs> So uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have been up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and of course, the currently winding down for this year, Todd and Joe have issues where we're going to be discussing, where we have been discussing, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Um, We got like six issues left after this, right? Yes, Overture. Yeah, we got Overture, and then we are done, done, and we move on to our new thing, which is going to be Secret Six for 2024, Gail Simone's Secret Six, and we'll have, like, the whole reading list and order and everything else like that. This one's a little bit, that one's a little bit more straightforward, not to say that this one wasn't. That being said, I'm going to turn things over to Todd, and I'll uh, just chime in and say, yeah, every now and then. Right. So this is issue three of Dream Hunters, uh, written by Neil Gaiman, art by P. Craig Russell. So <clears throat> the monk has gone to see the Dream King to ask to save his his fox buddy, this fox spirit's life. Um, so he got the 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 thing to summon himself to to the dreaming kind of a deal. And so he's walking through the dreaming and seeing all these kind of interesting uh, things. Um, and it is because this is a like a Japan like mythology. He ends up running across Cain and Abel, you know, obviously looking like people from you know that area. Um, and they have like the House of Mystery and the House of Secrets. And he ends up asking him which way to you know the Dream Lord. They're like, eh, they don't acknowledge him. But Cain, uh, Abel kind of gives up the ghost, and Cain does what Cain does, and that's kind of a a cool bit. Um, he ends up getting to the to the Dream King's castle, and there's the guards at the gate, and they end up, uh, you know, kind of, you know, uh, not attacking him, but like asking him what he's doing there, and telling him like they'll do, they'll eat him, and all that kind of thing. And he ends up showing him the little scroll that he got, and they're like, "Oh, okay, I didn't know you were a dreamer. You know, here's your guide." And it ends up being the Raven. That's not Matthew, but they've established as kind of the poet was one of them before. Uh, Matthew and he ends up taking him through the 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 the, the cat the castle even though it's you know like an Asian kind of looking architecture um, says all right wait here and he does and he stays in this little room and he imagines what the dream king could look like and there's like various incarnations of what he thought it would look like and there's murals on the wall that seem to be moving and changing and he's enjoying like them telling their stories. Um, and that's when Sandman shows up Morpheus and I do like the, the look of him. I had never really seen him in green and he does have kind of an Asian, not a complete look to his face, but they kind of give him a little bit of the features. Um, and he ends up asking what is the monks doing there? And he asks him basically save the, 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 the Fox spirit or she'll die. 
And because uh, she's lost in dreams, like perhaps that's what she wants. Um, and she had her reasons for doing it. Um, let me see here. And he's like, uh, but she asked me uh, kind of, you know, you know, to, to trade your places and wh- why are you here? And he goes, you know, it's because I like her. But in the end, he kind of gives up, you know, the secret. And he says, because when she was a person, uh, I kind of fell in love with her. And he's like, okay, follow me. And he's like, your fox came to me and asked me for the same gift to save you. But she was more honest with, like, why she was doing it. Um and he, he's like, okay, well, she did that. Uh, what can I bring her back? And he's like, I don't think so. It's like, that would be, you know, a hefty price. She's it would be in- going against her wish. Like, if right. I grant your wish, I'm breaking my promise to her. Right. So it's kind of like, uh, like layered. He's like, can, here, you can go talk to her there if you wish. And he goes into this, you know, little, like, like, I can't think of what it would be called, like a little gazebo kind of a deal and all the stuff that trapped him, the box and the key. uh, He ends up going into that and he ends up finding a mirror with the, with the tapestry of him and the, the guy who set things in motion and the Fox is on the other side, which is a mirror and they end up, you know, talking and he's like, well, kind of, uh, you know, she's like, why are you here? He's like, I found your body. She's like, oh, well, I hunted the Baku, which eat the the bad dreams. And um, and I ended up using them to kind of infiltrate your dream. And I was there and I took the chest and I took the key. And in the end, like, I I kind of kind of took your place. Um, and he's like, you kind of do this for me? And she's like, yeah, why? And he's like, well, why did you come here? to do what you did is like, because I came for you, you know, like it's the same thing. They both, they're basically admitting they kind of uh, love her. And he's like, well, I'm going to set you free. He's like, how are you going to do that? You're going to, you're going to break the mirror. You're strong enough. Like you, can you do any of this? And he's like, no. So he ends up, you know, Morpheus ends up showing it and showing back up again. He's like, well, time for you to go home. It's like, but I want to, you know, fix this and he's like but if i return you to the dream she dies and he's like it's okay i understand but i will not have the little one die in my place um so he's like okay you've cut you've done the right thing um and i'm gonna give you some time to be together before i send you on your way um and she's like but i beg you like you swore you'd help me and he's like and i helped you it's like it's not fair and he's like nope no, it's not. And she ends up crying. Um, but they end up having their moment and, you know, spending one night together, uh, if you will. And they ended up, you know, being together or that at least they dream they did perhaps to be continued. Uh, and right. I like the way that ends up getting worded. Um, it's a good issue, right? Right. Um, and again, we're going to get into it a little bit more in uh, issue four, and I'll save my overall thoughts for that. Mm-hmm. But especially in the dream part where the monk goes inside the box, every time that we see a full shot of the fox as a woman, the robe has fox tails on it, has the fox face on it, mm-hmm. is in the shape of a fox's tail. Um, you know, obviously we get Matthew, the well, we don't get Matthew the Raven, but we get a Raven, we get Cain and Abel, we get all of what the dreaming is, 
the the guardians at the door, and there's only one. There's not three like we've seen in the past or in other stories, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there's a part there, and again, I, if you mentioned it, I apologize, where the monk first comes in, and I'm not going to say that it was a babbling brook, but it was definitely something that was telling him to leave. And then once he got to a certain point, it was like, no, stay sort of thing, which I thought okay. was in- interesting, you know? Right. No, no, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really like this 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 issue a bunch. Yeah. Um, so now on to the final issue. Let me see if I can make this work here on my. <laughs> there we go. Um, so issue four, once again, same creative people. Um, so they've they've had their night and. uh uh, it's Morpheus says, you know, now everything is the way it should be. And now the uh, monk is in the mirror and the fox as the woman, the fox spirit as the woman, um, you know, is with Morpheus. And she says she would have given her life for, for him. Um, and he tells her to live and he's like, I will live, but after I've avenged you and he says, seek not revenge, but the Buddha and then he, you know, goes off into wherever, into the mirror. And I like that now Morpheus isn't what the monk sees dream as. It's back to the the dream fox, if you will. And, uh, you know, she's like, where'd he go to nowhere, wherever he will. But he's sleeping on the mat at the temple, uh, like you will. And he's like, so he's going to die? He's like, yeah. He's like, he told me not to seek revenge, but to seek the Buddha. Morpheus is like, wise counsel. You know, no, uh, vengeance can be a road that has no ending. You would be wise to avoid it. Which, you know, maybe Morpheus could have used that advice in his life. That's a great on. line, though. I love it. That yep. is uh, something that in a different time, in a different whatever, I would have given someone to steal for their wrestling promo. Right. There's still time, Joe. Um, <laughs> no. Right. And I do love what, the, like he says, he's like, you would be wise to avoid uh, uh, revenge. And he's like, and, and she goes, I will, I shall seek the Buddha, but first I shall seek revenge, which Joe, if you like that first line, I'm all about the second, the, the answer. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, that's the way I am. So uh, before she can even talk to, to Morpheus, he kind of goes off. Um, and she wakes up and she's next to the monk, but she, as the fox now, and she spends the night, uh, guarding his, him until he dies. And they end up burying him with, uh, you know, the past monks of his little temple and stuff like that. So now the, uh, the, the guy who set all this into motion, um, he's feeling better. Uh, he's starting to, you know, the fear is kind of gone that he always had. And he takes all the stuff that he did to do the spell and he buries it under uh, a dead tree. And he was alive and he was happier than he's ever been. Um, and then one day, uh, kind of this woman shows up and he sees her and he ends up kind of falling in love with her. But she wants nothing to do with her. And he's like, well, she's completely, you know, in my, my thoughts. I don't think about my wife. I don't think about my mistress. I don't think about anything. All I do is, uh, think about her. And he kind of gets the information of where she's at. Um, and he ends up sending her, uh, a message. Um, and, uh, it was a poem, uh, which she like talked about stuff and he was like, his heart swelled when he read it. Um, so he asked the oracles about her. Uh, which are the three witches. Um, 
And uh, he's like, oh, what, what do you want to know about her? And he's like, well, the man she loves is dead. He's like, oh, that's good. And they laugh at that, not knowing, you know, they know what he doesn't, who uh, the lover, uh, her lover was. So he goes and he ends up uh, going to her house and having dinner with her. And he says, like, I would be with you forever. And he's like, no, uh, you know, there will always be your wife, your house, your uh, lover, your magics. You know, I will not be uh, second to that. You get rid of all that. And, you know, I will be, I'll be yours. And he's like, okay, I'll take care of, I'll take care of it all. So he goes and he, he ends up mysteriously, his house burns down and his wife and his lover's gone. Um, and he ends up being okay. Cause he wasn't at home at the time, but you know, he had something to do with it, but he takes all his magic stuff and he ends up going, uh, to, her and he's like i gave it all up i've lost you know all those things here's all my trinkets and magic and she has people haul it off were you gonna say something sorry i'm sorry no go ahead um and he's like okay there's nothing that can come between us now she's like okay but take off your robe let me see you as you are now you have no wife no house no concubine no magic no clothing you have lost it all and now i'm gonna give something to you um and she reaches over and touches. And her. again, uh, uh, right? Okay, go 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 ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say because the line that she says, uh, so it's something that I give to you, uh, but you shall keep your life, for he would not have wanted me to kill you. Right. And a fox's teeth are very sharp. And it says that she was gonna look like she was gonna kiss him above the eye, and she ends up biting him. And we end up fighting, finding out that she took his eye. Um, and so he's like broke, naked and dishonored. And he ends up, uh, the next place he appears is in this house of a man who was dishonored years ago. And he ended up helping, which it makes it seem even that that was the monk's father with the tale that he told. So he had something to do with destroying the, 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 his father's life. And he ended up like, uh, you know, dressing in rags and he was, you know, just nobody, talked about him and in the end it was like how he lived his life beyond this point um all the tales are silent so we never really find out what you know he just goes off into obscurity so the raven talks to morpheus and he's like but what good did it do he's like good and he sends up he's like this happened to this person like all the bad things that happened to everybody um he's like well like what of it? And he's like, lessons were learned. Events occurred as it was proper to do. I do not perceive that my attention was wasted. It's like lessons learned by who? By all of them, particularly the monk. Um, uh, and he's like, but he's dead. And he's like, yeah. Um, and so are you, my raven. But there were lessons in here for you as well. And he's like, the raven's like, and did you learn a lesson? And it's like, about love maybe not <laughs> with morpheus and then they say the tale is like if at night on the moors or the, the hills you can see them wandering whether they are the the monk and the fox or the monk and a woman or some say know it all um that in the end you know uh you know that they maybe are together maybe they're not the different mythologies they'll, but maybe they'll stay forever um and dreams are strange nobody knows what goes on and that's kind of the end with morpheus and the the raven there at the end and it's like a quick little japanese fable you know what i mean right what so think, joe i really liked it a lot um i thought uh craig p russell's art uh in this was really really good 
the coloring was gorgeous throughout yes uh there was a lot of subtlety to the art and there was a lot of less than subtlety stuff as well and i thought all of it worked um however i feel as though this was better as the prose i'd have to go back and read it's been a long time i remember the comic more than i remember the prose you know what i mean um only because and you know listen if it was you know they're not going to get some piker some jamoke some bum to do the art for a neil gaiman adaptation of any kind but i think a lot of this was just an exercise for craig p russell to draw a bunch of really cool stuff and i i would hate to say that a lot of it felt like filler a lot of it felt like filler, just so that we could pad this out to a four-ish miniseries. Okay. Like I said, it's not my favorite, you know, Morpheus story, but it's not wasted either. As some no. of, like, the one-shots, not the one-shots, but the short stories, like one or two of them with desire. You know what I mean? Th- this could have been a four, you know, we mentioned before about the, and again, apples and oranges. Um, but we talked before about the Kyle Starks, uh, wild dog thing could be collected as like a 48 page prestige format, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could have been like a 64 page prestige format thing. Okay. You know, oh. you clean up some of the art a little bit. You take away like some of the pages of the monks strolling through the dreaming and you get more or less the same story. I'm with you though. I don't know how much you could get rid of that because that's the nostalgia to know that you're in the dreaming, like Cain sure. and Abel, and but whatever. That, that's fine. I can see what you're what you're saying. So now, definitely, this isn't better than the High Cost of Living, right? No, the, f- the first Chris Piccolo, Neil Gaiman. Is it better than the Time of Your Life? No. Is it as good as the Time of Your Life? <sighs> A little less. Okay, I just wanted to see where it was because you know there may be one or two one shots in the Neil in the actual Sandman proper uh-huh. that are better than that. This is better than maybe. Do you know what I'm asking? It's not better than like Brief Lives as a whole. It's not better than Seasons of Mist as a whole. But some of those one shots, like with the the grandfather telling the kid the story, the yeah yeah yeah, the, like, how we met the mother. That one's yeah. not great. Maybe um, this is this better than that one? Yes. Okay. So it's not the worst no Sandman story by Neil Gaiman. But <laughs> the worst Sandman story by Neil Gaiman Exactly is still like, like years. An A. Yes. Like there's there's Grand Slams, home runs, and a triple, and there's nothing less than that. This was them legging out a double into a triple. How about oh, that? You know what? If we're not known for anything, we're known for baseball terminology on here. So I will take that as as what. Yeah, our so. sports analogies. That's what yes. you come to the show for, right? That's what you stay for. That's right. Uh, so next week we got uh, Sandman Overture issues one and two. Yep. And uh, just right off the bat, this is the most current Sandman stuff outside of uh, the short story that comes with the most recent Helm uh, Collector's Collection. Yep. Um, The comic shop exclusive one's still available, Joe. Christmas is coming. And uh, I already have, and again, not, um, I I read this when it first came out. And it was good to have some new Neil Gaiman stuff. It was probably the first new Neil Gaiman stuff that we had in a couple years. Mm-hmm. Came out and, slow. Huh? Came out slow, too. Came out slow. 
But I in the the post that'll come out on Thursday in regards to, you know, the teaser for have issues, I, I make known my uh concerns already with this miniseries. Okay. And I will say maybe or maybe not, I have reread it completely already. All right. Um <laughs> very interesting how Neil may be setting up every like how everything in the original run was connected. Everything after the original run seems like, oh, it's like, okay, now I'm in chapter two of how everything is connected, but that's neither here nor there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, so also while you're over at uh, longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out our store and get shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Reach out to me. We'll work out a deal. I'll get something over to you. Um, our T Public store, uh, the sale is going on for pretty much like until the 18th of December, 35% right. off everything. Uh, I think the last day that you could order something through T Public. And get it in time for Christmas is the 12th. So that would be next Wednesday or next Tuesday would be the last day that you could order something and get it in time for Christmas without having to pay for expedited shipping. Uh, You can make any purchases through our eBay affiliate link. Uh, The page contains affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission on purchases you make. You could use the affiliate link anytime you want to make purchases at any time. And support us while doing so. Yeah. But the most important thing, of course, would be uh, the Patreon. Patreon.com slash longboxheroes. Get two bonus shows every month from Todd and myself. One would be comic book oddities, uh, where we're looking at movies, TV shows, pilots, things of that nature. um, Off the beaten path, pre-cinematic universes of stuff, or stuff that really didn't capitalize on the success that the Marvel Cinematic Universe was starting to do. Uh, This month, we're going to be watching the 1997 failed Justice League pilot. And if you are a patron, I think that's already available in there for you to watch if you've never seen it before. Uh, I haven't seen it in quite some time. And I, you know, I, I know there's a lot of jokes and things that we've talked about in regards to it. And I look forward to revisiting those. We just did uh, previewing the past, talking about December 1993. We mentioned a little bit at the beginning of the show, uh, mentioning it again here. Uh, that is available currently for the $5 and up folks. Uh, you still get all the shows, all the bonuses, everything else like that, no matter what Patreon level you are. Just $5 folks get them earlier than everybody else. And you also get After Dark before everyone else this week, only one day early. But again, just the way the things shook out. But at least you get to listen to the shows in the correct listening order. Still early, though. Still early, though. That's right. Right. Uh, Lastly, before we get into some TV and movie talk, uh, ESPN Pigskin Pick'ems, as you're listening to this, um, you know, the clock is ticking to make your picks for this week. Todd is currently in 10th place. I am currently in 21st place. Uh, I think I'm going to settle in right around there. I still think you can make it to the second page. You think I you think I could fall all the way to the bottom? I have faith in you. <laughs> there are a couple people that have given up completely. Um I gave up completely in a completely different way. Right. And uh dare I ask how things are going on the soon to be named network fantasy football thing? Um I lost, but I'm still in the playoff hunt, so I didn't get Taco Bell, but I could still win it all. So you gotta be in it to win it, Joe. 
So there's eight people playing. How many te- How many people make it to the playoffs? Five? Six, I believe. <laughs> I believe six. Um, oh. I'll probably get... I'll probably get, you know, told on that, but I'm pretty sure because what'll happen is the first two people, the the, the two with the best record will get a like a week, a bye week. Gotcha. And then, and then the four will play. And then those two people will play the winners of those two games. And then it's like, you know, into the into the championship, if you will. You know, if you had two more people playing this year, those people could have felt better about each other. You know, uh, yeah. seven and eight could have been felt good and say, oh, at least we're not nine and ten like Joe and Ed are. Right. Wow. Yes. Next. There's always next year, Joe. Yeah, there always is next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and again, you saw Godzilla minus one. Right. I did not see it. Okay. Um, I, I get confused that there seems to be multiple Godzilla cinematic universes going on concurrently with each other okay all you have to know is anything where you have american actors does not count uh the the, this is a toho movie the toho ones are the ones that are in japanese with subtitles you know what i mean uh rubber suited monsters except for this one um, and the most recent ones, I think. But you know what I mean? Like, these are the ones that are in conjunction. Like, they've loaned the rights to Legendary Pictures are the ones that have been in our movie theaters the last couple of years. Okay. And then there's, like, the straight Toho versions, which I am not the guy. Our retailer is better at it. But then I don't know if you've ever met his friend that he went to high school with, Leo. He was kind of at, like, birthday parties and stuff like that. He's the Godzilla guy. Where he'll tell you, like, oh, Toho, like, the first couple of years, these movies have nothing to do with each other. And then these are the X sagas. Like, these four movies go together in a storyline. And then they reboot it again. And these stories go together. And the only connection is always the first Godzilla movie happened. Do you know what I mean? And then if these movies connect... It, they're after the first Godzilla movies. And then they'll reboot it and like these four or five movies go together, but they're connected. The God the first Godzilla movie has to happen. I don't know if I'm making sense, but you know what no, I mean? No. So like uh, no matter what what um timeline, no matter what section of movies that you're watching, none of them happen without the first one. Right. Except for Godzilla minus zero. Oh. Yeah. Godzilla minus zero is like basically retelling the first time Godzilla shows up in Japan. Um, and it's uh, and not to go into too much of it is like, basically it's the end of world war two on this little Japanese Island, a plane lands and he's a kamikaze pilot. And he's like, there's something wrong with my plane. I couldn't go with my men. And they kind of like figure out that he's lying. So it's kind of like dishonorable and like baby Godzilla shows up. And Godzuki's in this? Yes, Godzuki. And he ends up attacking most of the people die kind of a thing. And there's only two survivors, the, the kamikaze pilot and somebody else. And he goes back to Japan. The war is now over. And he's living in Japan, like war-torn Japan. Like looks like buildings collapse. It's really cool. And he ends up knowing that if he tells anybody he's a kamikaze pilot who didn't do it. Like you're a kamikaze pilot who came home. You know what I mean? You're dishonored. And he ends up finding this girl who found a baby that the mother said, take care of it. And they end up kind of being together, trying to live. And then the atomic tests 
And through a series of events, he finds out Godzilla's heading for Japan. He's trying to, to tell people. And he ends up like starting a plan with his friends to stop Godzilla with the help of, you know, the government. Um, that's the bare bones of it. You know what I mean? Sure. But it is one of the, not just a great Godzilla movie. It's a great movie in between the Godzilla stuff. Like mm. this guy coming to terms, t- talking to the woman, like, are they going to be together? Are they not? Um, the baby's growing up, his friends. And he's like, he ends up start telling them one by one that, He's a kamikaze pilot. And they're all like, ooh, yeah. And then, like, now he wants to kind of, because he did something on the island that could have killed Godzilla, maybe, and he messed up. Now he wants to avenge the deaths that he kind of had happened, and maybe his attack on Japan wouldn't have happened. And when Godzilla shows up to attack Japan and baby Godzilla in the beginning, there's no holds barred. This isn't like... We always joke Godzilla in these Toho movies. He's just always off in the distance, stepping on oil refineries, so things are exploding. Exploding. This is like him bringing down buildings with people on top of them. He's stepping on people. He's whipping them with their tail. I'm like, you know how we talked about when Transformers, when Starscream just started smushing people? This is the way I feel. Spoilers. What? what? <laughs> spoilers. Yeah. Well, spoilers. <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been two months. I think we're okay. Well, Godzilla's doing this. You know what I mean? And it kind of was like, ooh, like that's just nasty. But all around, I recommend anybody who likes or would like a Godzilla movie, get out because this is getting an extended engagement and go see it. It was really good. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, and I'll say this. um, It's critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, whatever you, you know, whatever this means is whatever this means, you know, it's 97% critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 98% um, um, audience, which is, you know, pretty unheard of, um, lately, you know, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, they said that it's production budget was 15 million. Yes. Which you always, you always double, you know, because they always lie. Mm-hmm. And I think. You know, on a fifth, you know, thirty million dollar, um, thirty million dollar limited U.S. release, worldwide release that already in its opening week it's grossed forty one million. Mm-hmm. So it's already over its legit production budget in one week. Right. That's. I don't know. Sounds like sounds like a hit, right? And I'll say one last thing about it. The great thing about it is because it's a fifteen million dollar budget. Double it if you want. Is they make it look like I don't know if it's the effects or it was the intention, like you like the money that they had. He looks like a guy in a rubber suit when he walks. Uh-huh. Like, so it's cool in that it reminds you of the old movies. And there's a scene and it's like uh, where he's chasing the hero in the boat and he's just like floating across the top of the water. So they can look him square in the eyes as he's chasing them. And he has that dead rubber mask look on his face. And it looks stupid but awesome all at the same time if you're a Godzilla fan. Because it's very reminiscent of the not facial expressions of the rubber suit. But you're like, it's CGI. You could do more. But I love that it reminds me of a Godzilla rubber suit. So I'm completely conflicted here. But in the end, I go with it. It's awesome. So (laughs) I'll say this. You know, I've, I've heard good things about it. As mentioned, it's getting some good discussion. Um, pretty much everywhere, um, from all walks of life. So I might have to try to convince the wife to maybe go see it this weekend. Okay. Um, are you okay with subtitles? Yeah. 
Okay, just saying, because I have friends who hate subtitles, and, like, I don't know, like, what, I'm not trying to be funny, like, if you were going to take Asa, too, I, like, you got to be fast, you got to be on your feet, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't be looking around, or you're going to miss, like, uh... You can't be picking daisies or whatnot? Exactly, you can't be like, oh, what color uh, raisinette am I getting? Um, I think they're all the same color, but, uh, because you look around, like, you're missing dialogue that moves the plot along, you know? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, what was I going to say in that regard? Oh, uh, you and uh, April. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see if I can convince her. Maybe she wants to go see something or do something or whatever this weekend. Um, yeah, I'm glad it was good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Enjoyed it very, very much. Speaking of things that you enjoy, let's get into, um, that Doctor Who thing, huh? Yes. Uh, so it's the second of the three. Uh, 60th anniversary special. The first one was, I forget what the first one was called, but this one is called Wild Blue Yonder, which uh, after the, the events of uh, last uh, episode, Donna spilt coffee on the controls, so they're flying out of control. They end up in uh, uh, 1666, and they end up with Isaac Newton. They crash into the tree that drops the apples on them. Um, uh, Donna does one of the greatest puns in the history of Doctor Who, uh, where she goes, you have to appreciate the gravity of the situation. And Doctor Who's like, Doctor's like, no, no, no. And they leave, and he's like, what was that wonderful word he used? She used savity, bavity. Oh, yes, that's it. Mavity. That's right. I laugh. Um, later on, uh, they crash on this spaceship. TARDIS kind of almost explodes, and Doctor's mad because uh, the insides are ruined. He's like, well, I have to regenerate it. Puts the sonic screwdriver in it, um, and it disappears. It's like, oh, they has this thing that if they're in danger, the TARDIS uh, will leave and come back until danger. But he always, the danger's over. He always had it shut off. But because he's regenerated, went back to its factory settings, um, and it left. Do like the bit that they fight a little bit about what happened because Donna and the doctor, any of his companions have never done that. So I'm hoping that that like carries over to a little bit. And there's a whole bit about the TARDIS was playing wild blue yonder, the song kind of that'll play in later, but to condense everything, they're on this long ship. They don't know where they are. Pieces of it are moving every once in a while. It'll say a new word. There's a really slow moving robot called Jimbo. Walking around. I like Jimbo. Jimbo. Jimbo's the anti-gadget uh, gadget. Like one person will get that. Um, uh, so they try to figure it out. He's like, I can't figure out what these random words are and why the, the ship is reconfiguring. So they go to the control area after they find the hover car. Um, and there they find, you know, a pilot seat, but no pilot. And every once in a while they're hearing a banging on the hall and they can't figure out what that is. So he finds the computer, and he's like, okay, I could re- reboot this. Donnie, you have to stay here, put all these things in order, and I'll go over to the other one. And they do, you know, they start working together in two different rooms. And the doctor ends up, you know, doing his thing, and Donna comes in. He's like, oh, you're done. And they end up talking, and he talks about where he imagines the TARDIS goes when, you know, it goes away from danger. And he does a, I actually thought it was a beautiful little story about building the city around it. I, like, I could watch that episode if they did. But then you find out Donna's in the other room. She's not there, and there's a, the doctors there, and they're talking. And she's talking about she's so far away from home, she worries 
if they'll wait for her kind of a deal. She goes, I know my family will probably go on with their lives, except for my grandfather, Wilford. Wilford will wait. They'll leave after a couple of days, but Wilford will stay there till he dies waiting for us to come back. And then they start talking weird, like each of them. And we realize that they're, you know, doppelgangers, doppelgangers, doctor gangers, whatever you want to call them. Um, Cause their arms are too long. And that's where we find out that there's these other creatures called the not things. And we're at the edge of the universe past where the stars are. Um, and that's where they live. And they want to come to our world to like take over. And now basically the rest of the episode is just, Donna and the doctor being split up and having to figure out whether or not the person they're talking to is the real version or not. And we get some dialogue spill, like the whole flux did happen. So fans are like, oh no, like uh, we were hoping that was all swept under the rug. They made it work. Um, and in the end, we find out that the banging that we're hearing was the captain of the ship who kind of sent themselves out of the airlock to destroy themselves. So the not things couldn't figure out what the captain's plan was to keep them from getting to our part of the universe. And slowly the doctor figures out, Oh, well, if we have adrenaline, they're trying to scare us. It makes them mimic us faster, know what we know faster. And soon they'll be able to take our place. And he figures out what it is. It's a self-destruct system, and the person was offing themselves before they could could stop her and don't know what she was doing. And now they have to like get out of there before the place blows up. The TARDIS comes back because as the place is blowing up, the danger will be over. Doctor gets in, saves a Donna, but it's the wrong Donna, and he figures it out because her arms are too long, and then he saves her. Um and, you know, it's the real one. He goes back. They, the two nothings die. They go back. They see Wilfred Mott, who I pop for seeing him again, 92 years old, passed away shortly after filming all his scenes. So that made me sad. They did the uh, in honor to him. And he says, I'm glad you're back because everything has gone to heck uh, here. And I knew the doctor would come back and save us. Stuff starts exploding and we're going into the next episode. Um, I know I jumped over a lot of stuff, but I actually did love most of the practical effects in this show. And I'm waiting for Joe to rip them apart. Um, this, I liked the practical effects in theory. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I say all the time, listen, I, I got no problem with digital effects. I got no problem with practical effects. I love practical effects, actually. Um, you know, you would quote tweeted out this thing. It's like, oh, here's how they did a bunch of the practical effects, right? And here's right. them in testing, and here's how they looked. And I'm like, okay, that's all cool. But the – so I like CG effects when it's used to enhance a practical effect. Same here. Um. And so much of the CG effects in this were so bad, I thought it detracted from how good the practical effects were. You know, they, they do a bit where, like, the ship is mostly green screen, except for the parts that the people touch or that the, they move and everything else mm -hmm. like that. It looked like they were walking in a PlayStation 2 cutscene for the most part. Right? Okay, right. So when they do the bit with a practical effect, I'm like, oh, that's a really cool practical effect in front of a PlayStation 2 cutscene, and it looked like junk. Um, this is another one, and maybe you could explain it to me. 
you know, obviously the previous episode, Donna spilled the coffee of the thing and they can't control where it goes. And it ends up in 1666 with Sir Isaac Uzin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Oh, I'm sorry. Know, she, the, and mavity is now the word for gravity. Right? Yeah. It just so they get that cute bit in there. And I'm like, did we need that scene? Like, I don't know, whatever. You have no idea how that scene turns certain people on their heads because I saw Isaac Newton isn't a hot Asian guy or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Or is a hot Asian guy, one or the other. Or whatever, right? Um, this is another one where I felt the show it like once they're in the two separate rooms mm-hmm. and the doctor starts figuring out what's going on. Like, um, that they could re- like when he says the line, and I'm not quoting it exactly. It's like, you could read our goosebumps like Braille, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the more nervous we are, the more excited we are, the more, whatever we are, the quicker you can assimilate who we are. Once the doctor starts figuring that sort of stuff out, I'm in the episode. I'm with it. I'm for the suspense. I'm for the excitement. I love seeing them figure these things out. And now the the, the doppelgangers are now trying to figure out what their next steps are. Now the doctor and Donna have figured out what their plan is and everything else like that. But everything else leading up to that just seemed as though they were so happy with their special effects that like this was more of a special effects showcase as opposed to what Doctor... And again, I feel it's straight from what the Doctor Who really uh, is about, you know, and that's the Doctor doing stuff that's interesting and using his mind, as opposed to, like, putting in funny teeth and doing a contortionist body double. Yeah, they said, I think it was, I saw a special that six people played the Doctor in this mm-hmm. episode because of all the people that they had to use, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I just really, I thought this was one of the creepiest episodes in a long time, and I know you're, like, you're bagging on the effects, and I get it, because, you know, they're not the best effects in the world, but they're better than anything Doctor Who has ever had. I feel like they found the blueprints for what they use in the Mandalorian and the Disney, like, Star Wars shows, but they didn't show them how to put it together or use it. So, like, the green screens aren't as detailed as they are for the backgrounds of, like, the Mandalorian and Obi-Wan and and all the others. But it's a thousand times better than anything we saw. And it kind of reminded me of, like, like Event Horizon in Doctor Who. You know what I mean? But not as gory kind of deal. And I love it. And I like the fact, like you're saying, like, when the Doctor's figuring it out, he's like, okay – Breathe and be calm and think of nothing. And Donna's like, done. I can do that. And I'm like, I could, I, I miss my spirit companion with Donna. And he's like, now you have to stop thinking doctor. And he's like, oh no, like that. And the more they ask him questions, he can't stop thinking. I'm like, there was nothing about this episode I didn't like because I wasn't distracted by the effects. That's, that's all I, I mean, that's a long way around to say it. I know you were really high on the special effects in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. you were like oh my god like the budget on this and it looks beautiful and everything else like that and i agree 100 i think the previous episode the one that we watched last week that was the perfect mix of practical and digital effects right i think the problem was that the st- like would you at least admit the effects in the the cockpit looked okay because they were in a room yeah 
Right. So so basically what anything that happened in that hallway looked like garbage, except for uh, uh, the gonk robot, Jimbo, Jimbo. Right. So I I will give you that because it was a huge stadium that they could not. um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like recreate in a a soundstage because it was so big. Maybe if they had built one section of that. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like one round section of it that's maybe 50 feet long and then CGI'd everything else. But everything near them was CGI. I get what you're saying. And it looks kind of weird. But such a great story and the not things is like a nothing. I don't know. I just think it was very well written. And it it uh, it, that oversteps the, the little, little minute bad effect that they had. There. I, I, my personal opinion... Uh, I just feel as though I've seen Bruce Willis starring geezer treat teaser geezer uh, movies at the Red Box mm-hmm. where they were able to fake a room as a multi-roomed hallway spaceship or whatever with practical practical effects. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Doctor Who should have been able to do the same thing, and they didn't. So now you're out on Doctor Who forever. No, not forever. It's just, you know, this time I'm like, the story itself was good and the third act was awesome. Right. But special effects, you know, you had really good practical effects and really bad digital effects. Let me. Yeah, it just made everything else stick out like a sore Mm -hmm. thumb. What did you think of Tenet wearing the long arms? How did that uh, look? Uh, uh, the, the bit where they're like giant dragon on the ground, whatever things. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I thought that looked cool. I was just going to say, because they didn't show it as much. Like there's a video, like other than the tweets I put out, where I he thought, could work the fingers individually and everything. I'm like, this is so cool. I, I thought the practical effects were really good. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just asking. That and the one where Donna melted into the floor was really cool, I thought. Otherwise. I saw that before in Day of the Dead. Yeah, but this is Day of the Doctor, completely different. All right, fair enough. So, on to the giggle next week. I know you're looking forward to that one. Doctor Giggles? I've seen that movie before, starring Larry Drake from L.A. Law. Oh, I thought Doctor Giggles was when Yaki got his Ph.D. All right. If there was a better way to stop the show, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to episode 687 of Longbox Heroes. We appreciate your patience and understanding with the lateness of my reply. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see y'all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of.
Podcast Network. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars. 